Hello, everybody, and welcome to this Global GEG broadcast. I am here with Becky, and she is going to give us an amazing session on utilizing EdTech in meaningful ways in the early primary grades. Becky, if you're good, go ahead and take it away. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you, Patrick. He's going to be running everything in the background. I see a few of you in the chat. Please share your Twitter handle, share where you're what grade you teach and um, anything you want about you. I'm excited to be here with you all and I'm loving my Global GEG family in the chat right now. Uh, as Patrick was saying, we are going to dive into ed tech in the early primary grades. And I know not all of you are probably calling or calling in, you're watching um, that teach primary grades. That's okay, hopefully you can still gain some tools from this and some strategies. I'm thinking it's going to be a pretty quick session. I just want to take you all through a deep dive um, through the process of how we integrate technology when it comes to our kindergartners, our first and second graders, because five-year-olds using technology is very different than our 10, 12, 15, 16-year-olds utilizing technology. As Patrick said, my name is Becky Calling. I'm an instructional coach in Southern California, and I initially started with a focus on uh, early primary grades and then science and now just instructional coach overall, mostly working with technology. Today's session, we're going to dive into the differences between enhancing and replacing instruction with technology, uh, incorporating technology to support student learning, and then options for achieving that. And when we dive into the options, I'm actually going to pull up some of our Common Core standards in ELA and math in first grade and go through strategies that could be implemented or tried on in those early grades, just like I would when I'm sitting down and working with a kindergarten, first or second grade teacher. As I'm going throughout, also please feel free to ask any questions. So I'll be watching the chat. I know there's a bit of a delay, but definitely ask your questions. The first thing I want to do is just a quick get to know you. And so we're gonna open up Jamboard. Jamboard is probably one of our most loved tools in the early primary grades because students can write on it just like they would with a whiteboard. This is one that we already started it with some of the Global GEG leaders. So you'll see some people in here. You can just go to the bit.ly backslash start career one. And I want you to share in here when you began or when you started teaching. When did your teaching career begin or your career in education? You can see some in here already. You can add in here using a sticky note. You can draw in here with a pen or um, I like to add the Bitmoji extension. So come in here and just add when you began teaching. You can see some people left some notes. So um, if you want to learn from Jen Hall, she put in here a little bit of a link and how she made hers so stinking cute. But I do want to see when you began your teaching career. So take a few minutes to add yours in here. You'll see mine down in the bottom right corner. I started my career in education in 2012. And I actually, just as you're adding your Bitmoji or you're adding your little uh, post-it note or text, I actually started my teaching career in Nebraska and I taught kindergarten there for a few years. And then I later uh, moved to Texas where I taught third grade and then fifth grade. And then I moved to Atlanta and taught fifth grade science specifically at a charter school before coming out to Southern California, where I'm now an instructional coach. So I've, this is the fourth state I've taught in, and I've loved every single grade, every single school, and I found challenges, but mostly excitement. 
in each opportunity. I'm loving the Bitmojis. Perfect. All right. Um, this was fun too because I did the same activity when I did this presentation for the California teaching credential a few weeks ago. And most of the people that I was in the room with were professors that had been teaching for, for quite some time. Um, and I think every single one of them had started their career in education before 1990. So that conversation's probably a little bit different than the conversation we're gonna have right now. But Gerardo, I love that you're in here and saying I'm still the oldest guy. We love it. And the fact that you're here and wanting to continue to grow to me speaks volumes about you and how amazing you are. So thank you. And um, thank you for continuing to be here and support. All right, let's jump back over. You can keep filling out and playing with the Jamboard. It is pretty fun. That get to know you is something similar to what we could also do with students, regardless of the grade. And um, just giving students an opportunity, they obviously wouldn't say when they started their teaching career, but they could say, you know, something important in their life. And that's helping our littles learn about a timeline. So with our older students, we use timelines a lot in the K through two range. We do need to take time to teach them. And if we can make it meaningful and impactful and really relate it to themselves, it, it's easier to grasp onto. So this next activity that we're going to do is um, called a waterfall chat. And Shannon Moore actually created this beautiful like graphic to explain the waterfall chat to our students. We're going to do that here in just a second, so don't put in your answer yet. When it comes to doing a waterfall chat, chat, it's something you do synchronously, and usually in Zoom or Meet, you give students a question, you give them that think time, have them type in their response, but don't hit send, and then once you prompt them, you want them to all send at once. So it comes in as a waterfall, and you can get a quick, quick glimpse or, um, can also look at it like a quick formative assessment. What do they really know? Where are my students at? So our waterfall chat question, you're gonna type your answer but not hit send. Our waterfall chat question is, how are you incorporating ed tech to provide opportunities for students to achieve and or demonstrate content specific learning goals? So take a few seconds to think about that. Really thinking about providing those opportunities and for students to not only achieve, but to demonstrate content-specific learning goals. Type up your answer and you can all hit send now. Know that I have a delay. I didn't give you very long, sorry about that. As I'm waiting for answers to come in, uh, when I'm doing this with kindergarten, first, second grade, I have to keep in mind that their typing skills are not at the same level as my third through fifth graders, right? Or my high school students. So with my K-1-2 students, I'm going to do a waterfall chat where they're simply typing in a number or a letter. And uh, what I mean by that is I'm going to give them like on a scale of one, two, or three, or a multiple choice type of question so they can quickly put their answer in and hit send. They're only having to type one key. At most, I want them typing maybe four keys, but they're not going to write an entire sentence. They're probably not going to be writing entire words or typing entire words because we're talking K-1-2. They're still learning how to write. They're kindergartners at this point 
are still learning the alphabet uppercase and lowercase and keeping in mind that I on a keyboard also looks like L, also looks like the number one, like that it's very annoying and frustrating for K-1-2 teachers, so I, I feel you. Um, keep it simple, one, two, three, or ABC type of questions. We're seeing in here, um, so Shannon posted, I use Jamboard for students to be able to collaborate, to collaborate, annotate text, sorry, collaboratively annotate text, specifically focusing on rhetorical strategies. I love that, and I think we can even bring that down to our, our K2 students and really looking at taking that Jamboard and having students post their ideas and their thoughts or going through main idea and key details. We always get pulled back to main idea and key details. We can have students collaborate on that same Jamboard being teacher-led, so I, I think that's wonderful. And any opportunity we can give our students to draw out their thinking, we're going to get a lot more from them than if we were to expect them to type out their thinking. And then we have uh, Reshma posted, I give students individual slides to show their learning and solve the math question in a sense they feel is the correct method. And Reshma, I love that you brought that up because I think giving students just a space for them to show their work, K-1-2, I would still give them that space and we focus a lot on here's your individual slide, but what I would have students do is draw out or write out their work on paper. So they're going to solve that math problem on paper and then they're gonna hold it up to their camera and take a picture and have their picture go on their slide. It's a little bit easier for our younger students to keep everything paper, pencil, hold it up and then um, we can quickly look over what they were able to do as a class. So. I really like that idea of giving them the opportunity to collaborate in the same space, a shared, you know, each have their own slide, but still show their individual thinking. We have Flipgrid can give a voice to students who are having a hard time communicating their thoughts in written form. Yes, Flipgrid is a dream come true to our K2 students, and I actually have an activity later with Flipgrid. Um, I also see uh, adding in an emoji or image can can be helpful for like that creativity. Definitely, when we're looking at working with our littles, the more pictures, the better. We would never give a five-year-old a paragraph of text without any image or any context, anything else to go with it. So, adding in those bitmojis, opening up that opportunity for students to engage and. Um, become part of their learning is probably the most important thing that we can do. And then Melissa put in here, helping teachers feel comfortable with the tools. And I know Melissa, you're kind of in the same boat. I mean, you're in a different position, but working with adult learners. And so when we work with adult learners, especially our K2 teachers who have really used very little technology in the classroom, we need to take time to make sure the teacher feels comfortable with the tool so that way, when they're working with their students, it's not this scary beast that they're trying to hang on to. Using emojis so they can find assignments in Google Classroom. For the upper grades, I know they're cute and fun. For early elementary, they are necessary. <laughs> like Our kids need something to guide them and reading out math, December 15th, assignment, da-da-da, asynchronous, that's too much, they need a blue circle, that tells me the blue circle is my math assignment. So 
Love the idea of using the emojis. There are a ton of other ways. Thank you all for sharing your thoughts and ideas. And to get access to this graphic, there's one for teachers and one for students. Check out Shannon's uh, Twitter. It's at s'more underscore teach. So thank you for creating those and letting me borrow them. I don't even think I told you I was gonna borrow them, but thank you, Shannon. All right, so let's get into enhancing versus replacing. Before I do, just a quick bit of background. When I first started teaching in kindergarten, we were super excited to find out that we had five iPads, brand new iPads, and one smart board that we got to share with all of kindergarten. And so we had to schedule it out. And like my excitement was through the roof that we got these iPads. And so I went in first thing, I like ran to the library that morning and signed up once a week for my slot because I wanted those iPads in my classroom. And in all honesty, I had no idea what to do with them. I, they didn't have any apps on them. They, I had never been trained on them. We were just excited that we got iPads and we got five of them, which now is kind of a joke that you would have five iPads for an entire grade. There were four kindergarten classes, so not a few. Um, so I started looking at, well, okay, well, what am I teaching? We're gonna read this book. I guess I'm gonna put this book on their iPad because I know that I can get access to it. And so we were just reading books on iPads now. And we weren't doing anything innovative. We weren't actually enhancing the instruction in any way. And in all honesty, and I love these kiddos and they, they're fine. They did really good. They're still doing great in school, but I think I made it worse. I focused so much on the tool itself and this tool that I didn't know how to use. And going back to what Melissa was saying, like, I had no comfort in this other than there were iPads and so I had to use them and there was a smart board and honestly, I think I just projected my projector on the smart board and was using it that way. It was a joke, but um, I wasn't benefiting the students by doing that. I was pulling time away from paper, pencil and books. So how can we enhance? To enhance, we need to go beyond whatever can be done without technology. Like if it can be done without technology, do it without. Why pull in? A jam board if they've got a whiteboard right in front of them. I have reasons. There are reasons why you would, but in every situation, no, if we're face to face, we're going to use that paper pencil. We're going to use these non-tech tools. We're not face to face. So right now a lot of things are being replaced, but enhancing looks more like we read a book about crops. We're six years old. We don't know a lot about crops. If anything, if we're not from a state or a city that's near crops. So now let's do a simulation. Let's look at plants and do a quick plant simulation on the computer. So at least when we're talking about the needs of the plants or the crops, we have a better understanding. We know that they now need water. They need sunshine. What else do they need? Soil gives them some nutrients, all of that. A quick simulation is going to give students enough background content that they can dive into that book, that they can truly understand the main idea key details, that they can use those pictures as context, context clues throughout. So if we can just take something as simple as this book on crops and add in a quick simulation, it's not a huge long activity, we will give our students what they need to be successful with the text. And so when we're adding in things like a simulator, that's going to be where we're enhancing the instruction. We can still use an e-reader, but if we're in class face-to-face, -face, pull, pull out the actual book. Um, I, I think it's beneficial for our kiddos to have the actual book in front of them too. All right, 
whew, that was a lot. This is, like I said, it's going to be a deep dive in a quick amount of time. So ask your questions and share throughout. Before we dive too much deeper, though, I want to go into some of the technology frameworks because these are brought up a lot in my day to day when I'm working with teachers, as I'm reading books, I'm hearing all about these different technology integration frameworks, like how do we do it? One method, it's super common, it's been around for a long time, is TPAC. And with TPAC, we are taking the two areas of teaching that we know best. We are taking that pedagogy knowledge as well, along with our um, content knowledge. So those are the two things we've already got. We've, we've learned how to marry those. I've got my content, I've got the pedagogy, we marry those, life is great. Like that's what we do all day, every day as teachers. How do we integrate technology so that it supports content and pedagogy? That's really what TPAC is covering. And I do, I, I really like that one uh, because it, it's taking what we have and just supporting. We also have the SAMR model. And with the SAMR model, we're going from how do we enhance our technology, which I was just kind of talking about before, to transforming our instruction with technology. So we start with substituting, taking that book and doing e-reader, and we work our way up to redefinition. We're truly redefining the lesson. What's happened with SAMR though, is when we look at augmentation and modification, there's not a strong justification for how one thing falls under each. Like there are quite a few lessons and activities that could be augmentation or modification. So how do we define it? Gets a little bit gray. It's kind of like, I, it could go either way. So we also have the RAT model. And the RAT model is just like SAMR, other than it starts at the top and goes down. The only difference is they combined the middle two. They took modification and augmentation, made it one, and they call it amplification. So I, I tend to lean towards RAT model if someone's saying, I want a framework because we don't get stuck in that gray area in SAMR of the A and the M. And then we also, another big one is the TIM matrix, so the technology integration matrix. And with that, we're saying, okay, how is technology encouraging active listeners, active engagement, collaboration, constructionism, construct, constructivism within our lesson, authentic learning, and then is it goal-directed? Are we using technology to help students create goals? There is not one framework that is perfect, and there is not one framework that I would say is wrong. What I will say is if we just focus on the framework, we're being judgmental. And we're not giving ourselves room to say, well, how do I get from substitution to augmentation? There's not really an answer. If I look at the framework itself, I don't have an answer for how I get from one to the next. So we can use these frameworks, but we need to give ourselves that uh, option or kind of that release to say it's okay that not every lesson is going to you know, be at the top. Not every lesson is going to transform with technology integration. So just know when you're implementing them, there's not a perfect one. There are some that I use more than others, but it depends on the scenario and the situation. I'd love to dive more into these frameworks at a later date. Feel free to always reach out. Um, and we, we can we can talk technology frameworks, but uh, we'll, we'll keep going. I see a few questions or a few responses to a question um, around 
does your school or district use a technology framework? So thank you for adding that in there, Patrick. And yes, please answer. Some of us are saying, you know, flirt with SAMR, not until now. There's not one set one. I use all four depending on the situation and I don't live in one area ever. What I do live in when I work with teachers, we will look at the frameworks. We will say, okay, here's really one that we can comprehend and understand. I do look at three questions and there are always three questions in K2 that we need to ask ourselves when selecting technology. The first one, what is my learning target? What is my learning goal? It needs to come back to the instruction. Don't implement technology like I did because you have free iPads. That, that served no purpose to anyone other than I used iPads. So what's the learning goal? What tools are available to you and your students? As Melissa said in the chat, like we as teachers need to be comfortable with the tools. So what tools are you as the educator comfortable with? And then do those tools make sense for that learning target? The third question is how are the tools going to support student mastery? Are you going to be able to pull data from it? Are you going to, what are you planning on taking from utilizing that technology tool to show that your students have mastered the content? So like I said at the beginning, uh, we, I am gonna show you a few quick examples. I wanna check the chat though, just to make sure uh, there aren't any questions before I dive into some set examples. I'm seeing need to work on the SAMR understanding again. Mel, I'd be happy to chat with you more about that. I really do love all of these frameworks and kind of diving into them and their pros and cons. Uh, using SAMR. Oh, Pilly, you make a great example or great point. Pilly put in the chat, just because you stay in the lower levels of one framework, because some of them you can see they're like a tiered, you have to work your way up. TPAC, I think is, TPAC and Tim, you're not really working your way up, you're just finding ways to mesh. But just because you stay in a lower tier of TPAC or, or sorry, of SAMR or RAT model, that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It actually just means that you may have a lesson where technology isn't the key tool. Like the technology is not going to be what gets your students to that learning goal or that learning target. So I, I really like that point. I think we need to keep that in mind that it's it's not about always being at transformation. You can't live, I mean, it'd be amazing if we could always live there, but we can't always live there. And every standard and lesson doesn't align to us living in that transformation model. Yep, Mel put it back. You need to decide which level is the right level for whatever you're doing, which goes right into the three questions. Really, what is the tool? Why am I integrating this technology and where do I plan to go with it? So let's look at a first grade Common Core ELA standard. And this one is focused on literacy. Um, and this is one that I don't think we often, when we're not teaching fully virtual, we don't often look at this standard and say, how can I integrate technology? But the standard itself is just ask and answer questions to help determine or clarify meaning of words and phrases in text. Our learning target here, that first point, is that I will be able to identify and use context clues. It doesn't really draw itself towards technology. And in all honesty, like when I read that, I think, okay, here's how I would do it in the classroom. We're going to open the book. We're going to get stuck on a word. We're going to highlight it. We're going to look at the pictures all around, see if we can answer the question. 
we can't answer the question. Let's go back and read the sentence before. Does anything, sorry, not answer the question, but um, describe what this word is. Does anything in the sentence tell me what this word is? What can I pull from the text to tell me what this word means? What context clues are there? That's really great if your students actually have an understanding of the text. So this is one of the books we read in first grade around being a responsible citizen. And we have uh, the first page is going over words to think about. And the first word is citizen. I know it's really small in here, but if I showed my students the word citizen for the first time, they're six. So probably first time they're really hearing citizen. And I say it underneath it says each student in a classroom is a citizen. What are my students going to think the word citizen means? They're going to be stuck on citizen means a student. And unless you're a student, you're not a citizen. So do my students understand this word? No. And I wouldn't stop there because I don't want my students to think you have to be a citizen to be or you have to be a student to be a citizen. So what I would do is I would actually go in and I would pull in additional technology tools. This is where I'm going to pull in a Jamboard. Um, and we're going to start with the, uh, oh, his name has told, Freyer model. I was going to say his name, lost me for a second. We're going to start with the Freyer model. We're going to start with what do we already know about the word citizen? Do we know any examples of a, or samples of a citizen? Well, we know it can be a student, so we're going to write that down. We're going to go through the rest of the book. What else do we know about the word citizen? We're going to write all the examples we can. And then we're going to write non-examples. It's clearly some, a living something, so it's probably not a car. It's probably not a toy, all of that. We're going to draw a picture if we can. And then we're going to add a definition. We're going to do this as a class. Again, first grade. I'm not going to have each of my students create their own Freyer model. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to look it up. I'm going to Google it with my students. Anytime you Google with kids, just add the words for kids at the end. So citizen definition for kids, it pulls right up and you, you get great dictionary explanations. We're going to read that and we're going to see that a citizen is a person who legally belongs to a country and has the rights and protections of that country. It's also a person who lives in a particular place. So now I know it's a student someone who lives in a country, and someone who lives in a particular place. We're getting there, but again, we're six. Citizen's not an easy word. So we're going to watch a video. This seems like a lot of work for one book, but this whole book and this whole unit is about citizenship. So if they don't know what the word citizen means, and I just keep reading books about it, I've, prob I've probably lost them. So we're going to read or watch a quick video on being a good citizen, and we're going to talk about that video. And then we're going to look up where we live. We're going to go into Google Maps and see where do we live? Where is our school? Are we citizens of our school? It's a place, right? Yes, we're going to zoom out. Okay, we, my school's in Santa Clarita. Our school's in Santa Clarita. Are we citizens of Santa Clarita? Yeah, let's keep zooming out and seeing until we get to that whole country view and so we can talk about all the places that we are citizens of. And that gets us to, we're not going to watch the video. There we go. That gets us to the third question, which is supporting student mastery. Each activity that we did, I can do a quick check for understanding as a teacher. I can use the Jamboard to see what did my students say were examples or non-examples. If they're telling me that an example of a citizen 
is a cat, we might have to have a chat. Notice and just keep in mind, first graders, they might think the cat is a citizen. We'll have a, a different chat there, but um, I wanna know what do they think it is? That's going to help guide the next part of instruction. As we're looking it up in the dictionary, I want my students to find connections from that dictionary meaning to the meaning in our book. In the YouTube video, we're gonna stop and talk about, okay, a good citizen is this. What else do we know about citizens now? And we can actually add to that Jamboard, that Freyer model. And then when we're looking at the map, we're going to continue adding to that Freyer model. Students should be able to identify where they live. So um, each of these will tell me a little bit. It's not gonna give me an all-encompassing view, but it is going to support that mastery of students using context clues and using those clues throughout the book. So the next time they see citizen, they can say, oh yeah, this person's a citizen of this city. I'm a citizen of Santa Clarita. I've now found that book to self connection or text to self connection. All right. <laughs> and Sharon, I love it. I know cats are citizens. <laughs> yes. And that would be a fun argument that I would um, have with students. And I, I do agree. We, we get to argue in school because we need to teach students how to argue appropriately. So uh, we, we learn about arguing and we get to share our different points. And then we get to decide if we agree in the end or if we agree to disagree. And sometimes we agree to disagree on what certain things are. There are certain things we don't get to agree to disagree on. Like, uh, But when we argue in class, we, we get to agree. So thank you for throwing that in there. Um, so that was the ELA one. If you have any questions about the activities that I threw in, starting with that first question, what is the learning target? Then moving into uh, what tools are available? If we've never used Jamboard in class, this probably isn't the first time I'm going to pull in a Jamboard. Maybe we haven't used Google Maps, but we've used the other three. So maybe now is the time we try out Google Maps. Also, first grade. I'm not sending my students to Google Maps to Google where they're at. We're gonna do it whole class and they're gonna ask questions. We're gonna zoom out as they ask questions. We're gonna zoom in as they ask other questions. So they're going to lead the zooming, but as the teacher, I'm going to keep that control. Um, not because I need to own it, but because I need to, it, our students aren't familiar with maps yet. So that would be the reason that we would do that whole class. But they might watch the YouTube video by themselves. And then, that third question, how are we checking for mastery or understanding? Each of these tools gives us different little bits. All right, so the next one I wanna dive into is one of our math standards that we have. Um, it, again, I went with first grade just because it's in between the K2, so this could be bumped up or bumped down, and it would work. And it's just using addition and subtraction with 20 to solve word problems. So we are starting word problems already, right? And we're involving situations that you're going to be adding to, taking from, putting together, taking apart, comparing unknowns in all of the different positions. So if I had four cookies and some of them were taken away and now I only have two, how many cookies am I left with? Or how many cookies were taken away? Sorry, it's things along those lines. Um, so we get to have a lot of fun with this. And before I dive into this, I will say, we typically think of math being the easiest area to integrate technology because there are, in the early grades, 
because there are so many apps and resources out there with virtual manipulatives. What I find though, a lot of the virtual manipulatives are replacing. So if we were face to face and I want my students using uh, the base 10 blocks, I'm not going to have them go on a computer to use base 10 blocks. I'm going to hand them out. So uh, think of it that way. Like, do I always need to use the technology or is it truly just replacing? In a virtual wor world, we're using a lot of the virtual manipulatives and that's okay. Our learning target starting here is I can use different strategies for addition to solve word problems. Okay, nothing too exciting. Um, I mean, it is exciting, it's fun. We have fun with this one. But what I would do here is I'm gonna pull in a flip grid. We've had some fun activities. Before I pulled in four different tech tools. With this one, I don't need all of the tech tools. Honestly, giving my students pencil and paper or giving my students some of those counters, that's all I need. So here I'm gonna pull in a flip grid. And with this flip grid, my students are going to use the Flipgrid stickers, the little stickers in there, right, to create their own story problem. An example of that, the total is six, one part is two, what is the other part? I gave them a picture up here in the upper right-hand corner, and they're gonna go into Flipgrid and record their video. If students get stuck, I've attached the slides in here that they can actually click on and go back and review one of our previous lessons. So you are welcome to jump into that Flipgrid and play with it, knowing that this one is not being shared with kids, so they're not gonna see your videos. If you've never played with Flipgrid re before, you just click on the record a response, or you can click on the huge red circle that looks like a record button. You can't click anything wrong. So go in here, click around. Thank you so much, Patrick, for adding the link. And I want to spend more time, instead of going into Flipgrid, showing you some student examples, not from the same word problem, but from the same type of activity, where the student really is taking ownership of their learning, and the student is actually teaching us either how to solve a problem, or in the next one, they're doing a mystery numbers. So let's watch this quick video. Patrick, will you jump in right away if I don't have sound? I am not hearing it, unfortunately. Not doing sound, okay. Hmm. Let me take two. Now you get to just see me really quick. I'm going to click share audio this time, and that might solve our problem. Okay, take two. Hi guys, my name is Ryan. Today I chose 29 plus 30 as my equation. 29, and we added 10 to go to 39. We had another trend to go to 49. Then we had another one to go to 59. So the answer to this question would be 59. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed it. And the landing points are 29, 39, 49, and 59. Bye. That's how I solve. 29 plus 30 on the number line. I hope you come up with another uh, equation on the number line. If, if you do it the same equation I do, I hope you come up with a different way to get that answer. Bye. So you can see in this quick video, this student, like as a teacher, I can look at it. No, this is a second grader, but um, 
a first grader might not be as advanced, but they're going to be able to do some of this. A kindergartner might not be using another tool or another window, but still able to share their thinking. You can see that this kiddo really understands this problem. He's able to explain each of the different landing points. He then is truly taking the role of a teacher and saying, I hope when you do this problem, you find another way to solve it. And he's like, he is excited. He owns this and feels good about it. And if we can continue to push that for our kiddos, like, wow, the opportunities we open up for them. This is an example of integrating technology in a truly meaningful way. I have one more because these videos are too cute. I could not not share them. So this, again, is a second grader, and she is looking at a mystery number. I have some news. I have 100, um, two tens, five ones. What number am I? If you got it right, it is 125. If you got it right, that's great. Bye. And that's the news. So a much quicker little clip, but she's still like she did the work ahead of time. She was ready to go and she created her own story problem. Like she created it. She held it up. She's proud of it. She gets to take on that ownership of not only learning, but teaching. So we're really like reaching our students where they are. That one tool is answering the question for how are we going to reach this standard or this goal along with assessing students. Right there, I know what the kids know. If they make a mistake, I would be able to see it either in the picture or in the other window that they opened. So great examples of using Flipgrid to make it meaningful for our kids. Our key takeaway from all of this is truly to take a deep breath, know that you don't need to learn every tool out there, find the tools that you know best, incorporate the tools when necessary, and when it's something that should be paper pencil, keep it paper pencil. If you don't have that option, find ways like using the slides and holding up the paper pencil work, taking a picture on there, find ways to incorporate that way. But take a deep breath and recall what it is that students need to be able to accomplish in their learning. It all goes back to that first point. And that's the end, but I wanna take just a few seconds to see if there were any questions. I hope even if you were secondary, middle school, all of that, I hope that if you have questions, uh, or I, sorry, I hope that you were able to take something from this, uh, even if it was just to see the cute little kiddos in their video because they really are amazing. And it's so cool seeing what our kids can do. So I hope it was meaningful in that way, but definitely ask your questions. Reach out on Twitter. I'm happy to sit down and talk through any of the frameworks or talk through any of these messages. But thank you all for being here. Can it be longer? Uh, I, if I had more videos, and I do, I just didn't put in any more. Uh, I would, but I really enjoyed talking to you all. I have to say this was my first solo session with Global GEG. And um, it's interesting. I feel like I'm sitting here and I, I can't get a pulse of the room other than your comments. So I want to thank you all for being that support in the comments. I really appreciated you all being here. I'm happy to share out any of these resources. This is what I do on the daily and I truly love it. So thank you all for coming. And you are also sweet. Uh, we will we will connect soon. Yeah. Oh, we could definitely look into some types of trainings. And 
Dr. Dr. Shan, I will say, as I was doing this with the CTC, they were still like, I need more for K. I need a K example. So I have a few minutes. I said I would keep it 30 to 45 minutes. I'm going to share my fun K example, and then you all can jump off. Um, I was asked to come into a classroom for one of our K teachers because she needed to get some assessments done. And she was like, I just, I need to pull kids one at a time. Can you come and read to my students? And I was like, okay. But I'm obviously not just gonna join a virtual meet for 30 minutes and read to five-year-olds. If you've never tried it, do. <laughs> but, uh, because it's interesting. Like five-year-olds, 25 five-year-olds in a Zoom meet, they are everywhere. They, it is not like in the classroom, like sitting doesn't exist and you just have to assume it won't exist. So I decide to pull in the book and it's happening again. I, the book with the lion, you've got the lion, you've got the little mouse, the lion catches the mouse, he's going to eat him and the mouse says, no, stop. It, um, you know, he's super brave and he's talking about character. If you don't eat me, I will save you one day. What is this book called? It's not called The Lion and the Mouse, is it? I don't know, but this is the book we're reading. The, you all know it's been told a million times. Reading this book and our focus is on um, characters and understanding different characters uh, or character, uh, character traits, sorry, going through character traits. And I was like, well, we could read this. And as I'm reading this, because they're five-year-olds, I'm going to read it like the lion. When the lion's talking, I'm gonna pull out my lion talking voice and when the mouse is talking i'm gonna get like squeaky and we're gonna practice and we're gonna stand when we're the lion and we're gonna squeak when we're the mouse thank you yes shannon the lion is the lion and the mouse okay so good thing i said the book name a ton of times without thinking that it is an aesop's fable um so we're gonna do our voices we're gonna get excited like we're gonna get into this book but i need these students to understand character traits why is it that when i read a book that is fiction about a lion, it's, he's always considered the brave one. Unless I know much about lions, like lions are brave because the book says he's brave and the mouse is not because he's little. Um, but I want my students to know a bit more about it. So we're gonna go into Google Earth and we're gonna go into the different navigate features and we're actually gonna go and look up where do lions live? And we're gonna look up what animals the top of the food chain and my students are gonna be asking questions like five-year-olds do. And we're, we're going to remember, you know, we sometimes, we sometimes have a question. Um, we sometimes just need to build on a thought. We sometimes, we have to do actions because we're five. So we got to build on our thoughts. Um, we sometimes are just thinking and we just need to share what's in our head right now. And so I can quickly remind them, oh, I'm glad you were thinking that. Now let's get back to the lion. Uh, so we, we open this up for conversation. And as we're opening it up, we're doing kind of like a pop-up pedagogy where I'm on the internet with the kiddos and I'm actually looking up their questions and we're diving into this together. We're learning about it right now and we're having pop-ups come up. Nope, that didn't help me understand anything more about the lion, but that was an interesting fact. Move on. I have enough tools in my toolkit to be able to say like, we're not going into that website. But I do know I can go into Google Earth. I do know I can dive down into different parts of Africa and look at where lions typically live. I know I can go onto certain zoo sites and actually see lions at the zoo. I can actually talk about lions from a pet, or sorry, not lions from a pet store. I hope we don't have those. Mice from a pet store. We can talk about mice and how little they are and how mice always seem to be scurrying. And when you're scurrying like that, it seems like you're nervous. And so 
we're able to still meet students where they are and give them what they need through technology without me having to pull out every tool for students, without me having to do much of any work. We just got to be excited together. We got to explore together and we were able to enhance the lion and the mouse book, um, the simple name book. We were able to uh, enhance that and truly transform our lesson by using what was at our fingertips, using the internet to explore a bit more. And our students, they, they were engaged, they were there and it was so much fun for 30 minutes, somewhere on the ground, some were kind of looking at me like this. That was cool. Like, that's what they need. They're five. And it was fun. So finding ways to make it fun, try on new activities. That's what I recommend. And you don't need to pull out every tool that's ever been invented. Use what you know. So thank you all. I had to share because it was a lot of fun. I got really excited. So it might have sound crazy at the end. Um, but thank you. And have a fabulous Tuesday. It was amazing, Becky. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you.